Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. I'm back. I don't think I've been on the podcast. Um, I think I've had like three out of the last five I probably haven't been able to be a part of, so it's good to be back. Yeah, um, it's glad to have you back. For how much Nick and I make fun of one another, we do like each other, so I'm glad that Nick is here. Also glad that they are here. We got Kevin Fay from Roar Lions Roar, one of our uh, supreme content makers. Kevin, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Glad to be here. I think this might be the uh, first one I've done since the one in your murder basement. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, uh, my, the murder basement. my house was built in like 1920 or something, and the basement has not been renovated since then. So I have a basement straight out of 1920s. And at 2.30 a.m. after Penn State beat Ohio State, and we did a podcast down there. It was just straight up ghoulish. Uh, but that's of the past, and we're looking to the future because Penn State football is back this week. I could not be more fired up. We have made it, everyone. The longest offseason it seems like Penn State has had in quite some time comes to an end on Saturday in Happy Valley. Penn State plays host to Akron. We'll get to that in a little bit, and we'll get to uh, the part you're used to on these pods where we break down the Big Ten action for this upcoming week. But first off, I just want to talk about this offseason. I want to talk with Nick and Kevin about getting through this offseason because Nick like I said, for whatever reason, it's felt like compared to the first three off seasons that James Franklin was here, this one just took forever. Do you agree? Uh, yes. Uh, it. I well, my, I'm kind of jaded about the off season taking long because the last like uh, six weeks have gone by faster thanks to Game of Thrones. But yeah, I agree. It. I think. When you have a team with the expectations that Penn State has now, um, obviously it, it's going to take the offseason is going to feel a little bit longer. Whereas in years past, like you said, it's it's been very different. It's almost been before last season. It was kind of that um, kind of tempered excitement about what Joe Moorhead's offense could potentially do, but also a lot, a lot of worry at the same time. Like, what is Trace McSorley? Um, is the line going to hold up? And then, of course, the years before that, there was just kind of sheer dread about what the offense is going to be. So, yeah, it's definitely been a different offseason, and it's been fun. I mean, it's taken forever, but it's been fun in a weird taking forever way. Yeah, Kevin, like, this is... I mean, I think you could say James Franklin's first offseason was something that uh, it made Penn State fans pretty excited because, you know, he's a new guy. He brought so much uh, passion and excitement and energy into the program uh, when he was first hired. I mean, his opening press conference is still the stuff of legends. Uh, his second offseason was kind of, uh, you know what, last year didn't go great. This year maybe it can go pretty well. Don't think we can expect too much. And then last offseason, it just seemed to me like, it seemed to me like we went into last offseason not knowing if James Franklin was going to make it to the next offseason. Like, I, how do you feel just looking back compared to last summer right now? Oh, it's night and day for sure. I, I had cautious optimism heading into last summer. Um, I felt like they had some some really nice pieces, and I think that I felt like they had some uh, some younger guys who are ready to step up and really take hold of this team. I was really excited about Saquon Barkley. Um, and then Joe Moorhead came in and that kind of, uh, made me raise my eyebrows even a little bit further. Cause I was, uh, I, I was actually excited for the offense for the first time, um, since James Franklin arrived. So I was, it was a cautious optimism, but, uh, nothing compared to what it's like this year. Uh, because, uh, as we were talking about before the podcast started, uh, some of the things we were going to discuss tonight, and you mentioned uh, a potential Penn State weakness. I it's really tough to uh, it's really tough to to point to a specific weakness, and that's exciting. Um, it, we kind of ended the season last year with so much momentum that uh, it was it just kind of was just such an abrupt halt, and I just wanted to like I wanted Penn State to be playing the very next day. Like that's how excited I was. Um, all the way back in, in January. So it, it's it's a completely different feeling this year um, than any other of James Franklin's season. It's a completely different feeling than I've felt really in a long time. Uh, I can't remember the last time I was this excited about a Penn State team. Yeah. I can't stop 
this huh. feeling. Oh god, Nick's going <laughs> Hasselhoff on us. Keep going. Keep going. No. I wanted I'll I'll break we, out the rest later. I was going to say I have say, plenty of I have plenty of music to feature on this podcast. We're 5 minutes into this podcast. I want to see if we can get everybody turning off by having using like a David Hasselhoff song. Uh but yeah, like Kevin was mentioning, like this there is actual honest to god tangible excitement around Penn State. Of course, last year 11 and 3 uh, one of the more surprising 11 and threes that you're going to see eight and one in conference play uh, won the conference, made it to the Rose Bowl, played in an all-time great Rose Bowl, even if uh, it was very weird. It ended like with two minutes left in the third quarter and they just didn't play the rest of the game. I thought that was an interesting decision, but hey, it meant Penn State won the Rose Bowl, so I'm happy with it. And now we get to this year where Penn State on offense has to replace Chris Godwin and Brian Gaia, and that's it. That's really it. I mean, there are a bunch of other, there are a couple other smaller contributors who are gone, but those are the guys that are gone. And then the other side of the ball, Garrett Sickles, Evan Schwan, Brandon Bell, Malik Golden, and then John Reed is out to injury. Penn State is bringing basically everyone back from a team that won the conference last year. And it is bringing in a bunch of other talent. It's brought in a really good recruiting class. It looks like a couple of young guys there are going to be able to step in and make an impact. There are a lot of redshirt freshman guys and players we haven't seen yet who seem like they're going to be able to step onto the field and make an immediate impact. So, Kevin, you mentioned, and we'll talk about this in a second, Penn State's biggest question mark this season. When you see the 2017 Penn State football team on paper, what would you say its biggest strength is? And I'm actually going to throw you a bit of a curveball on this. I didn't tell you this is coming, but you cannot say Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley. <laughs> uh, I actually wasn't going to say them, but I, w- I might kind of dance around your... No, your, go ahead. Uh, I, I might dance around your restriction a little bit and say that it's the skill, it's the skill positions. But I mean that on both sides of the ball. Uh, Penn State's wide receivers are obviously going to be uh, some of the best in the Big Ten. Five out of the six star uh, people in their two deep are going to be four, former four stars coming out of high school. The talent is there. And the three star is none, uh, no one other than uh, Deshaun Hamilton, who is going to leave Penn State as the career leader in uh, receptions. So, I mean, the skill position depth is there as well. At running back, um, you have Saquon Barkley, obviously. Um, you have Mark Allen, Andre Robinson, um, and uh, the freshman Miles Sanders. So all of those people are really, really setting up Penn State for a nice season. And on top of that, on the defensive side of the ball, we have a, a very deep uh, defensive backfield. We got Mark uh, Marcus Allen, who's probably my favorite Penn State player of all time, just because he mixes that skill with his charisma, and he's just he's just a blast. Um, and then, uh, obviously losing John Reed hurts a little bit, but, uh, at cornerback they're deep as well. So their skill positions are, are really setting Penn state up nicely this year for a really deep run. Yeah. It's crazy how Penn state could suffer such a rough injury to such a good football player as John Reed. And they have other guys who it seems like can fill those hole, fill the hole even if it's not to the exact uh, level that Reed plays, we're able to step in and do a lot of the same stuff and not and make it so while he is watching games on the sideline, Penn State doesn't really struggle too much. Nick, I want to go with you. Uh, same questions, same restrictions uh, as Kevin. And again, if you want to dance around it, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> Well, considering Kevin pretty much named like the entire roster, I will <laughs> try to pick someone that he didn't say. Tell me um, I'm wrong, though. I'll say the tight ends. I Obviously, there's a lot to love about Mike Gusecki. I think he's primed to go out with a bang for at the end of his Penn State career. But we've heard really positive things about John Holland, which is always nice to hear when you, especially for a guy like him who switched uh, positions. Well, not switched positions. He was originally recruited as defensive end was given the choice between defensive end and tight end event chose tight end but had a lot of refining to do but he's made a ton of strides uh i mean it's apparent that he's made a ton of strides so it's cool to see him having worked his way up to second on the depth chart but then a guy like he may not be the sexiest player but tom well i don't know how i don't really know what he looks like so maybe (laughs) uh, tom pancoast job done gets the job done as a blocker i he's not someone you're going to go out and expect to see 
five catches from in a game, but from what he's seen, what what ugh, from what we've seen of him on the field, he's done a fine job blocking. And then I'm I will forever be intrigued by Nick Bowers until I'm given reason not to believe that he can do something great because his high school tape is so stupid fun and he plays literally every single position you could play and he's a tight end so it's always nice to see people that athletic at that position because you end up with a guy like Mike Gesicki so I'm pretty excited for the tight end group this year yeah I I I won't say mine because I kind of want to see what you guys say about the biggest weakness but uh actually that's good I'll say mine I'm excited to see this offensive line like, I honest to God, think I don't think it'll be the biggest strength of this team. Again, obviously, it's going to be Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley and the skill position players. But variety is the spice of life. Let's talk about this offensive line a little bit. I don't remember the last time I felt good. It was probably heading into 2012 or 2013 uh, when I felt confident about who was going to be up front blocking. Ryan Bates seems like he has star written all over him. Steven Gonzalez stepped in and filled in admirably last year, and I think he's one of those guys who he got reps last year that are going to pay off in a big way this year. Connor McGovern, again, has star written all over him. And then Brendan Mayen, Andrew Nelson, two guys that have played a lot of football. Chaz Wright's going to be starting at right tackle, it sounds like. Also played some football kind of in the same boat as Gonzalez. He got a lot of reps that he we didn't necessarily see him getting last year, and I think think that those could end up being pretty big for him and something that like I don't think we can say this enough Saquon Barkley has not ran behind an objectively mediocre offensive line yet by the numbers by Bill Conley's numbers uh, I'm trying to pull this up right now yeah Penn State was 119th in stuff rate stuff rate are the rate of runs that are taken down at the line of scrimmage or behind it. Penn State was 119th in that last year, and Saquon Barkley went for nearly 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground. And you know those stuffs weren't because of Barkley. Too. Right. Like, those right. were totally on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, there are times when, you know, you could see Saquon's trying to make a play, and maybe it doesn't work out. Like, it's not, uh, there's nothing there, so he's trying to make something happen, and, you know, something happens that isn't great for Penn State, but he's not played behind an offensive line that's been okay, let alone good. And Matt Limegrover uh, told our buddy Matt Brown this at Media Day, like, having Saquon can almost hurt an offensive line because everyone thinks there's, like, this relationship where, well, if a running back plays well, it's because the offensive line had a good game. And then Limegrover will go back and watch some tape and go, oh, wow, like, we made some mistakes and Saquon got us out of it. So I just want y'all to think for a second. What if Penn State's offensive line is good this year? What if that happens? And we and Saquon Barkley is a little bit better than he's been at the past in the past. Even if he stays about the same that he's been that he was over the last year, just the fact that he's going to have more holes and things to do, I, I don't think we can talk enough about Penn State's offensive line and what it can be in year two under Matt Limegrover. But there's always the possibility that, you know, it just doesn't work out. Like, there are some flaws. There are some issues. Penn State is a football team. Football teams have problems invariably. And, Nick, I want to go to you on this one. What do you think Penn State's biggest question mark is heading into this season? I – well, I mean, the cool thing about this team is that I don't – really see any of the question marks as these really just like team breaking things like the second safety spot is probably one of the biggest ones for me just because we know Penn State's offense is going to score the the really one of the main questions is what the defense looks like this year because they kind of got beat up on a little bit um, at least in the first half against Wisconsin and then uh, the USC game, I mean, that would have been tough for any defense. With the rate both teams were scoring, neither defense really set the world on fire, though Penn State's uh, just kind of took a dip at the wrong time of the game, and USC stepped up in the right time of the game. But I, I guess for me it's that second safety spot, just because I want to see Marcus Allen 
be the player he's supposed to be. I want to see him just staying in the box and headhunting running backs and controlling that run game because he's he doesn't have an interception in his Penn State career, and he likely won't end with one. That's not his game. He's not supposed to be a deep ball guy. But I fear that if they aren't able to find a suitable pair for him in the back, then they might be tempted to ask him to do a little bit more of kind of a center field role. And that's just not his game. He's he's supposed to be Cam Chancellor. He needs his role, Thomas. Yeah, he I mean, I think that's probably fair. I mean, we have I think we have enough reason to believe just based on the last couple of years of Penn State safety play that one of Troy Apke, Nick Scott, Aaron Monroe or Garrett Taylor could can probably step in and play that more of a center field role and let Allen be the heat-seeking missile we all know he is. But yeah, I, I do think that's a legitimate concern. I, the, if Penn State has a concern, a major concern, that is probably the most legitimate, I would say. Uh, Kevin, you, you kind of touched on this, but like, do you have any major concerns? Like, If there's one thing that you know you have to stick out, uh, you have to go on the record on a podcast and say, that's it. Do you have that thing? Um, only because this happened last year, and that's uh, a linebacker depth. I mean, the starters are about as good as you'll find in the Big Ten the, with uh, Cabinda, Bowen, and Cam Brown, or Koa Farmer, I suppose it is now. Uh, but behind them, I mean, you have people that all have experience, but they're uh, – probably just a little bit of a step below of, of where the starters are. And if the injury bug hits again, then uh, we saw what happened when uh, when they went down last year uh, with Bell and um, Cabinda and how that hurt that defense. So uh, I, I think that it's important that the linebackers stay healthy and depth would probably be my biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I'm, well, I don't think. We know by now what we're getting out of Jason Cabinda. Manny Bowen seems like one of those guys who's pegged to potentially have a breakout year. I would guess that, you know, if you want to be concerned about Koa Farmer, you can, although by all accounts it sounds like he's just been a monster this camp. And then the guys behind him, I mean, Jarvis Miller, he hasn't played too terribly much football, but he seems like a really talented dude who has adjusted from going to safety to linebacker well. There's Cam Brown, there's Brandon Smith. Like, there are bodies there, so... Like, like you said, I hope there aren't any major injuries or anything like that. But if a situation happens where a second string guys, it's nice knowing that, you know, think of the Michigan game last year. Brandon Smith has to step in. He is rather uh, rather green. Uh, Cam Brown's red shirt had to get burned. I think Koa Farmer got in and played a little bit when, you know, it was kind of new to him. So I'm glad that that situation seems like it won't uh, present itself this year. Uh, and, you know, if that situation does present itself this year and a couple of other things go right, we could be talking about the Big Ten champion, Nittany Lions. Uh, you can read our predictions on the site, or you could just listen to the next uh, two or three minutes of this podcast, whatever you want to do. So, Kevin, we're going to start with you. What teams are going to win the Big Ten East and West? And, you know, quickly say why. Who wins the conference, and where do you think Penn State finishes and what Penn State's record is? And if you think that's a lot of information, I sent it to you in Slack. So, yeah, we have that going for us. Yeah, speaking, of, speaking of Slack, I think Slack is kind of the biggest reason that the offseason is bearable at this point. So, um, yeah, shout out to PSU Twitter Slack. They're going to listen because there are only fans, so that's fine. Um, so, record. Uh, I'm going to start there just because that's where I want to start. Penn State's conference record, I'm going to go with just one loss, and that's Ohio State. And it's not because I think Ohio State is some kind of world-beater team. I think they're going to struggle a little bit early on. We're going to see it tomorrow night at Indiana. And that's go Hoosiers! Kind of a- go Hoosiers! Woo! <laughs> and it's kind of also a nod to um, not to Indiana's defense. Uh, but they're gonna—they're probably struggling on offense a little bit to start the season as they adjust to Kevin Wilson and maybe turn it on at the end of the year. Uh, but I—I I, I just think Penn State doesn't necessarily have have it to to go to Columbus and win on the road. Uh, they won some road games last year, but they didn't really go to really tough environments like Ohio State. Um, so I think that's where they lose, and because of that, I think Ohio State ends up winning the Big Ten East. Um, they're just, I, Michigan is a little bit, uh, a little bit young, 
They replaced a lot of starters from last year. I still think they're going to be pretty good by the end of the year, but uh, I just don't think they have enough to uh, overtake Ohio State. Uh, in the West, I think it's going to come down to actually Northwestern and uh, Wisconsin with Wisconsin getting the nod. Um, I don't think Northwestern has enough to beat um, to beat Wisconsin. They do have Justin Jackson, who is an absolute animal, and I do love him. Uh, but I just don't think that they have the the depth at wide receiver, really anyone to throw to at all at wide receiver. And I don't think their defense is quite as good as Wisconsin. So uh, I don't think they're going to be able to keep Wisconsin out of the end zone in that game. Uh, and then eventual Big Ten champion, uh, I'm going to go Ohio State. They just have too much depth and too much talent at the skill positions. Uh, and I, I mean, Wisconsin's already lost uh, their key linebacker and then also backup linebacker. So if they take any other injuries on the defensive side of the ball, then I just don't think they'll be able to keep up with Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to step in quick because I agree with Kevin on everything. I think Penn State goes 11-1, that one loss to Ohio State. Uh there's no shame, and I think this needs to like be said. Uh, it needs to be said early on. There is no shame in going to Columbus and losing to Ohio State. Uh, if Penn State wins that game, that is awesome. That is huge. I would pick Penn State to make the playoff at that point in all likelihood. But if not, listen, it happens. Ohio State's a, good, a great football team. That's a tough place to go play, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know Penn State's playoff hopes are shot, even though they'd probably need some help. Uh, Beyond that, yeah, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Ohio State wins. Penn State goes eleven and one, comes in second in the Big Ten, East behind an undefeated Ohio State team. Nick, uh, what do you think? So my heart says eleven and one for Penn State. My head is thinking more like ten and two. Um, I I'm gonna go with my heart in this case because it's three days before the first game. So obviously we go optimistic. I do think there's a chance that Penn State loses a dumb game like Northwestern, like 80% of the fan base probably agrees with. But this team is well good enough to win every single game on their schedule. The fact that the Ohio State game is at 3.30 is pretty helpful, in my opinion. I think Penn State will have a much better chance um, in that environment rather than another blackout night game environment. As cool as that blackout was, I wish... I hope they do that again at some point because that was super cool to see. Absolutely. But but I I think Penn State does lose to Ohio State, so I have them finishing 11-1. Ohio State probably rolling straight through the rest of the conference, so they'll win the East. Um, I'm picking Northwestern to win the West. Ooh, it's not, I like it. It's not that I think they're so much better than Wisconsin or any of the other Big Ten West teams. But I think it will come down to Northwestern Wisconsin because I don't think Nebraska is very good. Um, and I was fine, but not quite good enough. But I, I'm just not a big believer in Alex Hornerbrook. I, he's fine. I, I just and I mean I know Wisconsin doesn't really need much more than fine from their quarterback. But I mean it, I don't. This just it, it doesn't really strike me as a top 10 caliber Wisconsin team, which a lot of people seem to be saying they are. It's I, Losing Jack Cicci sucks. He's really good, and I know he missed a lot of last season too, but they had more linebackers. He was one of like four potential all-conference guys at the linebacker position last year, so there's plenty of people to kind of share the load there. I'm, I think they miss him a lot more this year. Um, TJ Edwards is awesome, and I think he'll be great, but I don't know. It just I it I don't feel crazy optimistic for Wisconsin this year. The conference is weak, so they'll probably and their schedule is a cakewalk. So they'll probably still go ten and two, but I or eleven and one, whatever they end up doing. But I think one of those losses will be to Northwestern, and I think that the Wildcats find their way to the Big Ten championship game, where they will get completely trounced by Ohio State. But that's okay because Clayton Thorson and Justin Jackson are very fun. Justin Jackson, who has received approximately 2,400 carries in his college career to this point. Um, so, yeah. yeah I, I think Penn State finds their way to, at a, to an at-large bid for whatever bowl, and it'll be great. Yeah, I mean... One thing, one thing oh, I ahead. do want to point out real quick is... Um, this is going to be I, the I think, thing I was going to point out, and I'm going to be very upset about it, but go ahead. I think one thing that plays to Penn State's advantage when they go to Northwestern is that yes, Northwestern is will be coming off. Damn it. 
the game against Wisconsin, and that that's that's gonna that's gonna be Camp huge Rand. either. And they're going. To, they're either going to be riding high off for that off of an emotional win at Wisconsin, or they're going to be kind of maybe down a little bit uh, because they have such high expectations for themselves. So I think that could be big in plays in a Penn State favor going into Evanston. Yeah, I mean that game's going to be weird, but whatever. I mean we kind of expect this, and wait, I, I wonder with and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this more the closer we get to this game. Like if we should actually be worried about that game if. Or if Penn State has just played this game, you know, in Evanston at 11 o'clock local time so many times before that we have an expectation of what should happen. And it just ends up being like the uh, the game where Penn State went to Kinnick a few years ago under Bill O'Brien and just beat the doors off of Iowa because, you know, times are changing. But we'll get to that when we get there. Uh, another thing that we will get to down the line, but we're going to make a prediction right now. Uh, do either Saquon Barkley or Trace McSorley make it to New York City for the Heisman ceremony, and do they win? Uh, Nick, this is something I'm going to hold over your head all year, so make sure you pick it correctly. First of all, Brandon Wimbush is winning the Heisman this yes, year. Let's just get yes, that. Let's Nick, get that out in the open. Brandon Wimbush is at I want to say something like 200 to one to win the Heisman. So if you're looking for a long shot and you have like 20, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand bucks to spend. Put it on there, and also this is not uh, gambling advice. This is just um, me having a random uh, stream of consciousness. Yes, join me in getting rich. It'll be lots of fun. Uh, but I actually wrote a couple articles. I think I've referenced them before on here, but I wrote a couple articles about Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley's chances at winning the Heisman um, way back at the end of February. In hindsight, probably not great timing for those articles, but I did a fair amount of just statistical-based research on it, and what I found was that Trace McSorley's stat line in 2016 wasn't all that dissimilar from the average Heisman-winning quarterback from the years 2000 to 2016. Um, McSorley actually threw for more yards on the average winner, slightly lower completion percentage, uh, four fewer passing touchdowns, same interceptions, same number of team wins. But the big thing, since 2010, uh, every Heisman-winning quarterback, has at the average rushing yards for Heisman-winning quarterbacks is 1,023. So I think for McSorley to win a Heisman, he his passing stats can pretty much stay where they are, but he, he's going to have to put up, put up a lot more on the ground, and I, just, I don't know if that's quite in the cards. And then for Barkley, the only running, the only players since 2000 to win a Heisman who were not quarterbacks were Reggie Bush in 05, Mark Ingram in 09, and Derrick Henry in 2015. Mark Ingram fell into that Heisman trophy and absolutely did not deserve it over. Well, I mean, oh, I, it's oh. arguable, but I think I think Toby Gerhardt deserved it. No, 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 no. You shut your mouth. That was in Dominican Sue's award. Yes, sorry, and the Dominican Sue's award. I didn't have him on here because it the stats didn't quite compare the same way. Um, and then, of course, 2005 Reggie Bush's was arguable with Vince Young, but Vince Young's best game of the season came after the voting took place, so that didn't help him. Um, and then Derrick Henry also fell into his, even though Christian McCaffrey was far superior. Um, and Deshaun Watson also played his best game of the year after the award was awarded, so that didn't help him. So what I've basically found was that for a non-quarterback to win, it kind of seemed like there were three main categories you had to kind of hit on, and one was being having a lot of preseason hype and being able to deliver on that hype. So I think Saquon's yep. Yep. doing fine in that regard. Um, but the second point, which is kind of the most unavoidable one, is just hope that there aren't any transcendent quarterbacks because it's it as as great as Saquon Barkley could be and as great as many running backs could be in the 2000s era. It's you just it's just doesn't work. They just pick quarterbacks. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. So I. With the number of great quarterbacks that are around this year, as Jake Brown and Shane Bichelle could be pretty good under Tom Herman. Uh, DeAndre Francois could be pretty good. Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson. Um, so many more I'm not even thinking of. JT Barrett could be great under Kevin Wilson. Quentin Josh Flowers. Quentin Flowers is going to yeah. be awesome. So I'd say his chances of every single one of those quarterbacks falling flat enough for him to kind of take charge is not great. So... I think there's a chance one of them gets invited to New York, but I don't think either of them wins it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you touched on the uh, the hype thing because I 
uh, last night I went on to uh, the With an Ohio Bias podcast, a couple of uh, dudes who, you know, you can guess they're Ohio State fans, and we talked about uh, the Heisman and Saquon's chances of winning it, and I said that, like, he needs to have hype, and he has had so much hype this offseason, and it's all been justified hype, like, it hasn't been, you know, searching for that sleeper, it's, yo, this guy's really good, the offensive line stuff we talked about earlier, you know, physically, he's a superstar, he's put up superstar numbers uh, on the field and in testing, personality-wise, like, Ask anyone who has ever talked to him. I can vouch for this as someone who has talked to him. He's like the coolest guy. He's the kind of guy you want to root for. Everything is going in his direction that way. And I do think that's something that can pay off. And uh, he's going to win the entire thing. Saquon Barkley, Heisman 2017. Uh, Yeah, go Saquon. Kevin, what do you think? Um, I I think I agree with you, Bill. Um, He has kind of everything that you would need for a running back to come in and steal a Heisman from a quarterback right now, which is he has the hype going into the season. Um, He has the highlight real plays. If he can have one of those signature plays against an Ohio state or a Michigan, that's even better. Um, He's going to have the statistics to back it up. The only thing that might hold him back in the statistics department is the fact that the offense is going to be able to spread the ball around so much. Um, If he could, I think what might help him out is maybe some, uh, some more receptions out of the backfield, just get some more all purpose yards um, and the thing about Trace McSorley is he doesn't have to run the ball. So to Nick's point, for him to get those extra rushing yards, he just doesn't have to. When you have someone like Saquon Barkley and you have the receivers that Penn State has, there's no point. I mean, it's great for him to extend plays and use his legs to his advantage to move the chains and keep the offense moving down the field, but he's not going to get those designed runs most of the time because when you have the option of, okay, I can run as an undersized quarterback against this massive defensive line, or I can hand it off to the best player in the country. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to take hand it off to the best player in the country for 300, Alex, every time. Um, So I I think uh, McSorley's going to have great numbers this year again, throwing the ball. He's going to have some rushing yards, but it's not going to be enough. Uh, And Saquon gets the invite to to New York and takes the Heisman because he's going to rip off an insane run against Ohio State. It's going to get play all over the place. Um, he's yep. going to do, he, I think he might hurdle the second Bosa this year and that'll be the play that gets him to New York. Yeah. I mean, he's to win the Heisman. You so frequently need to have that one like transcendent game or that one transcendent moment. And like, I, I think Barkley, uh, along with a bunch of other dudes is very capable of producing that one game or that one moment that is kind of, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of just like his season in a microcosm, and it's something that in a decade, not just Penn State fans, but college football fans are going to look back on and go, that was the moment. Uh, and now, speaking of moments, it's uh, the moment has come for Nick. Get that music queued up, because it is time, after half an hour of podcasting, for us to talk about the Akron Zips. And Nick, what uh, mid-2000s recording artist has a name very similar to Akron? Young Jesus. Hey. Uh, I just want to uh, mention that was done while it was done without the uh, consent of any ma- massive music groups. Please don't sue us. We don't have nah, much money. Jeezy's cool with it. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Sure. I expect that Nick got that. Uh, yeah. Penn State plays Akron. Terry Bowden and his fighting band of. Um, Terry Bounds are going to be coming into Happy Valley this weekend. Game kicks off at noon. Looks like we might have some pretty rough weather. Last season, Akron wasn't exactly uh, a group of world beaters. They ended up going 5-7, and 3-5 and five in the MAC. They played Wisconsin, and Camp Randall lost 54-10. to 10. Uh, Nothing crazy sticks out. They also played Western Michigan, and like most teams, just got the doors blown off by Michi- uh, Western Michigan. Nick... Like, what do we need to know about this Akron team? I think we're all in agreement that Penn State wins this game with some level of comfort, but is there anyone that Penn State fans should pay attention to when Akron takes the field? Charles Woodson is a pretty entertaining quarterback to watch. Uh, he Charles Woodson, is from. Really? Really? Oh, yeah. 
Wait, I said Charles Woodson? You you said Charles Woodson, who uh Oh. No. Well no. Charles Woodson could be a pretty entertaining quarterback. I don't oh, know. Yeah, like Tommy I, Woodson. Charles yeah, Woodson. Let's, let's be, be honest here. He probably was a pretty good quarterback. I mean he could <laughs> I would take him over Blake Bortles right now, but that's neither here nor there. Ouch. Uh, free A Rob, free A Rob, give him a good quarterback. Tommy Woodson is a pretty damn good quarterback when he's healthy. Unfortunately, it doesn't really look like Akron has anyone for him to throw to, and their defense is pretty, pretty trash. So while having a great quarterback is probably going to be good enough to win them a couple MAC games here and there, it's certainly not going to be enough against Penn State. That being said, it's it's not a bad for Penn State's defense. It's not a bad first opponent. It'll be a nice test for them. in just terms of trying to handle a dual threat guy since they'll go up against a couple of those in 2017. So it, it won't be a, it shouldn't be a close game, but it, there could be a few entertaining plays from Akron and from Woodson. So, uh, I mean, aside from that, just their, their defense will keep them from doing anything notable really. Yeah. I, I think, uh, just in some research that I've done and I ha I haven't done enough and this is going to be, uh, something that ends up biting us on the rear when Akron wins this game, like 24 to 13 or something gross. Uh, Ulysses Gilbert III, a linebacker who seems like he could really ball out. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just have a hard time having too much concern about this game. Uh, just because, you know, it's a season opener. Penn State historically goes out and wins its season opener, sometimes pretty comfortably, sometimes we have a game like Penn State had against UCF in Ireland where it comes down to the last second. But it's usually, you know, they end up wiping the floor with a team that isn't from the Power Five. Like, Kevin, can you imagine that not happening for some reason? Or do you think this one's pretty, uh, do you think by halftime we're going to be back to tailgating? Uh, I think I learned my lesson last year towards the end of the year to not bet against Penn State's offense scoring more than 40 points. I mean, it was kind of like, the three years leading up to this this past year, it seemed like it had been ages since Penn State had scored 40 points, and then all of a sudden they couldn't not score 40 points. So I, I don't see Akron being able to score with that. Even if Penn State takes a really vanilla approach, they're just going to out-athlete them. So I, I think we're probably going to be tailgating. And by tailgating, I mean going back to our places and being out of the rain because it's supposed to be disgusting. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, I mean... Yeah, I, I can't think of too terribly much else to say other than uh, let me pull this up because uh, Bill Conley, as you know, we adore him. I mean, he's, I mean, he's probably everyone that on our site's favorite college football writer because he just goes so much deeper into this than everyone. And his head header on his story about Akron is if Terry Bowden finishes twenty seventeen in Akron, it'll be his longest running his longest running gig ever like it just doesn't seem like that's a title about that's a title from someone excited about a team yeah (laughs) i mean bill every once in a while will have a straight fire like hey this team will get exercise which is good or something but like it 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 just seems like akron it's just one of those teams that it's kind of like rudderless in the Mac. Like it doesn't seem like it's going to be the kind of team that ends up terrifying people and competing for a conference title, but it doesn't end up, you know, winning three or four games and just sitting down at the bottom. So I mean, best of luck to Akron, I guess. Like I, I don't really know what to say other than I think it's time for us to get to my favorite part of the podcast, which is, which is on a preview episode we go through with this week's Big Ten slate, and I'm so excited because some of the games this week are just so stupid. One that is not stupid, Buffalo at Minnesota. Nick, I'm going to let you say like 20 words on this because we need to get to the game after it. Okay. Um, Minnesota, led by P.J. Fleck, could be kind of interesting but also very weird. Also, Buffalo is bad at football. That was exactly 20. Boom. Moving on to the game of the weekend. Our beloved Indiana Hoosiers 
host the Ohio State Buckeyes for God knows what reason on a Thursday night in Bloomington. The game is sold out. Kevin Wilson making his return to Indiana since he uh, since he lost the job there. This Indiana team could surprise some people. It's going to play some really tough defense. Offensively, that's a little up in the air. Meanwhile, Ohio State is led by an offensive guru on one side of the ball in Wilson and a defensive guru on the other in uh, Greg Schiano, and they have about a million five-star guys. So, Kevin, what happens? And you'll uh, be able to watch it on ESPN from ESPN. every single angle. And they are sending a weird college game day replica thing to this. Shout out to Crimson Quarry. You guys did this. Dan Dockich did not. Dan Dockich can suck an egg. So, uh, and you can read all about my thoughts on this particular game on the viewer's guide, which is on the website by the time you're listening right now. Um, In particular, though, I think that Ohio State is going to probably struggle on the offensive side of the ball. As I mentioned earlier, Um, they they have JT Barrett, they have Mike Weber, and that's great. But I'm not really 100% sure who they have on the outside to throw to. Um, they do have a pretty good tight end. Uh, but I think they'll probably struggle a little bit as they find their footing in uh, Kevin Wilson's offense. And also against uh, an Indiana defense that was pretty darn good last year and will be pretty good again this year. So uh, I think those things combined, they're, they're obviously going to win the game, I, I think. But... I just I don't see them running away with it too much. I think it's going to be one of those like twenty eight seventeen games, where no neither team looks particularly good. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, I don't know if Indiana will even make it to seventeen points because Ohio State's defense terrifies me. Yeah, but I, yeah. I I I don't think it's going to be particularly exciting, even though it is kind of like okay, great, this is a this is a non sleeper matchup on Thursday that we get to watch. Yeah. How many times do you think, aside from this week, um, how many times do you think a team has gotten to watch game tape of themselves to prepare for the team they're facing? I don't know that. Like, I was thinking about that. Like, does Kevin Wilson have some stuff up his sleeve for Indiana that they've never seen before? Because I can't imagine. Oh that man! He if you does. if you didn't pull out if you didn't pull out all the stops at Indiana, right. what, what are you saving right. for? And yeah. at this. point, like you would think that this game is all about whether Ohio State's offense can execute against an admittedly pretty solid defense that knows exactly what he wants to do. And that's why I find this game so interesting. And again, I think Ohio State wins this. I think they win it something like like 30 to 21 or something like that. But I don't think that it's going to be an especially comfortable game for Ohio State fans, just because oh, Indiana has a guy like T. Gray Scales who he knows what to look for. He knows unless they're going in and changing up the just some various stuff so Indiana wouldn't know what's happening. They know what Ohio State is going to do. And it's very possible that Ohio State comes out and just boat races them. But I think it's far more plausible that Ohio State has a tough time executing against a team that knows exactly what they want to do. Nick, what do you think? At this time of recording, exactly one day from right now, we will be watching Tigre Scales return a fumble for a touchdown. Hell yeah. But but Ohio State's still going to win the game. Yeah, Ohio yeah. State's just so much more talented than Indiana. Uh, but I am really excited to see what Indiana's defense looks like uh, because most – most of the time, you wouldn't trust a week one opponent uh, for to really get a read on a team. But when you're playing a team against like Ohio State, even though the Buckeyes will probably get rolling at some point in the game, this should give us a really good idea of what Indiana's defense will look like this year. So I'm excited for this. I'm really excited for this game, actually, even though I fully expect Ohio State to win by at least a margin of 14-ish points. Yeah, hashtag breakthrough Hoosiers. We, uh, if you work for Eleven Warriors, please just uh, don't listen to the podcast for a second. We love you and we think you're going to win. Go Hoosiers! Uh, game on Friday on FS1 at eight o'clock. Washington at Rutgers. Washington is going to win this football game. My question to you, Nick: 
Last year they won this game 48 to 13. Do they win by more or less? I'm going to say Rutgers scores 17 points this year. Maybe wow. even maybe 20. No, that's ridiculous. We'll say Take 17. Um, Washington will be without Azeem Victor, possibly, arguably the best linebacker in the country. But uh, uh, Washington's so much better than Rutgers. <laughs> Just so, 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 so much better. So uh, I I could see Washington scoring a little more uh, and raising that deficit, even if they give up 17 or something like that. Do you know that they... Uh, here, while Kevin talks, I'll pull from I'll pull up and confirm the stat I was looking for while Kevin talks. All right, Kevin, go ahead. Um, I actually put in my preview that this is the first of uh, 12 teams to beat the doors off of Rutgers. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if it'll ever get old. Uh, but I do think that we all need to collectively say a prayer for the uh, the birthplace of college football because, good God, is it bad. Yeah, I mean... As our as Matt Brown said when he was on the uh, pod last week, the the thing to look forward to with Rutgers this year is that we have never had a Rutgers Purdue game until this year on October twenty first. Yes, which, <laughs> yes. Uh, that, if that if that doesn't you know get your Jimmy's all rustled, I don't know it does. Nick, what were you uh what were you gonna say? Do you happen to know how many how many points Stanford scored against Washington last year? Uh, I want to say it was something like three or seven, something like that. Was that the ten five game? No, 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 no. Uh, Washington beat Stanford forty four to six. Yeah, Rutgers scored more points against Washington than Stanford did. Which you know, week one, uh, Washington's not exactly making a statement. It's by, Rutgers, by but yeah, like they're they're. My guess is they were. It weren't was exactly, a home game. My guess is they weren't exactly, you know, putting the foot on the gas compared to what they were against Stanford when they kind of had to show out to show that they were the top team in the Pac-12. But I do get what you're saying. Uh, you ready to want to move on to the next one? Next yeah. up, 9 o'clock, ESPN, Friday night, Wisconsin, who, uh, because you probably didn't watch the Cotton Bowl, you most recently remember watching then lose to Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game, hosts a Utah State team, which uh, since Chucky Keaton left a year or two ago, I don't know anything about them. They went 3-9 and nine last year. Uh, I expect Utah State to always play really tough defense and to punch you in the mouth, so I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this game is going to be really gross. Uh, Kevin, do you have any thoughts? Uh, in the in the preview this week, I kind of referred to Utah State as a uh, as the JV Wisconsin team, which obviously makes sense with Gary Anderson going from Utah State to Wisconsin. Uh, that's kind of an interesting storyline to watch, uh, even though it doesn't really matter in terms of this game because he's been at U- Wisconsin for a little bit now. Um, uh, in doing a little bit of research for this game, uh, for the preview, Utah's replacing a lot on both of their offensive and defensive lines, so... Uh, I think Wisconsin's probably just going to boat race them. I mean, Utah State is, they're always that solid defensive team, and they're going to be a grinded-out offense, but they're just, uh, I don't think this is going to be a particularly fun game to watch. I would spend your time on Friday night. Hold on, there is a good game on Friday night. Oh, yes, it's Colorado State's second upset of the year uh, over Colorado. Woo! Yeah. Doesn't Colorado lose a lot? For last year's kind of magical team, though, they're still they're still going to be solid this year, but they're going to miss Sefo. I mean, everyone's going to miss Sefo. <laughs> they I mean, miss come on. they miss Sefo last year. Yeah, <laughs> true yeah, story. True. Nick, do you have any takes on this game, or do you want to talk about another hilarious football game? Um, the Wisconsin offense radar on Bill Connolly's uh, advanced stats post about their. 2017 season looks like a maple leaf wearing a top hat oh that's fun Ooh, fun yeah that was a game we were playing before uh the podcast and we should probably turn this into content but what do random uh bill conley uh charts look like but let's get to something far more funny which is that for whatever godforsaken reason maryland and texas are playing one another on fs1 at noon on saturday um I cannot imagine why Maryland would want to agree 
to do any kind of series with Texas. I feel like there is no upside for them there. And I feel like this game, despite the fact that I think we're all probably in agreement that even if Maryland's record isn't very good this year, they're going to be an improved football team from last year. And I think they're probably one of the lesser Big Ten teams that are trending upward. I think Texas, Tom Herman's going to want to make a statement in his first game. Shane Bichelle's going to want to make a statement and like lock onto that QB1 job. I think they go out and they end up just thrashing Maryland. But, Nick, I could be wrong. And if I am, I'm sure you'll tell me. If Maryland had a quarterback, I would be super tempted to say this game would be either really close or Maryland could maybe pull out a win because I I adore uh, Harrison and Ty Johnson. But, yeah, the, with just the state that the team is in right now, it's definitely a rebuilding year. Like you said, the team is probably going to be better than last year's team, but it's probably also not going to show up on the stats or on the record. So, I uh, yeah, I think Texas wins this game fairly easily. Yeah, uh, Kevin, what do you think? Uh, I don't know if it'll be necessarily a complete blowout until later in the game. I think Maryland has the talent to hang around. Uh, but I do I, I do think that Texas does really want to make a statement in this game. They definitely don't want to go into a, a new coaching regime and uh, a, a new year with a little bit of expectations. This team ha- does have more experience uh and, and kind of lay an egg so they want to start things off on the right foot i think they might be pretty close for the first half and then texas pulls away in the second half uh next up uh at also at noon it's on btn uh ball state at illinois i have no thoughts on this other than jason whitlock is trash uh do either of you have anything that you want to say on this it is a football game it is definitely a football game nick do you disagree um Maybe. I'm excited to see Lovey's face during it. Why that implies that he's going to show emotion, but whatever. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna start a Lovey Smith um face tracker for every week. Ooh, that would be a I'm excited. Idea. Yeah. Okay, so this is usually how content gets formed on our website. Either Nick or myself or somebody else just goes, I'm gonna do this we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Next up a game that I actually think it's kind of hilarious. Wyoming at Iowa, an Iowa team that I don't think we know too terribly much about what they are, other than Josie Jewell is a stud linebacker and Akram Wadley is a, a golden god. Hosting a Wyoming team that has a ton of hype because uh, Josh Allen is a tall quarterback, and for whatever reason, people think he's going to be uh, someone who goes really high in the draft. I'm looking at the just line, like Mitch Leidner, just like Mitch Leidner. Nick, I am looking at the line for this game. What is the line? Mm, I'm going to guess Iowa favored by three and a half. Okay. Uh, what do you think it is, Kevin? Uh, let's see. Well, Wyoming's quarterback's really good. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Uh, Wyoming's Iowa by quarterback a has a lot of potential. Numbers yes. are not outstanding. His numbers are, yeah, they're not. I mean, he beat San Diego State last year, and that was my favorite team of all time. Yeah, they ran the ball. What did you say uh, you think it is? I was going to say it's seven or seven and a half. For who? Uh, Iowa. Okay. Iowa by anywhere from 11 and a half to 12 and a half. So. Hmm. Uh, I'm taking Wyoming. So if you like money. Um, I don't No, 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 game, no, yeah. no. This, this game is going to be like on 2420. One it's going to be gross. Football. Yeah, I I usually do agree with that. I but I do think two things with week 1 college football. One, if an under, if an over under is a little bit too high, it probably if you think an over under is a little bit too high, take the under. And two, a team like Iowa is not 11 and a half to 12 and a half points better than basically anyone. So, I, while I think Iowa wins this game, I think it's by something like 20 to 14, and it's just not fun at all. So if you like free money, um, listen to me, only this is not actually gambling advice and you should not take it as such. Uh, y'all have any I'm sad that the most automatic bet in college football doesn't exist anymore. What's that? Baylor's over. Baylor's over. Last year, Pitt's over. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I guess I guess Texas Tech, but Texas Tech's over. I feel like every time I do it, they let me down. And Baylor's over, like against bad teams would always be a bit of a risk because those games would end like seventy to six, and the line would be seventy seven or something. But yeah, yeah, you need uh, to you need to dive into the group of five uh, teams with me and love Toledo, Memphis, and South Florida. So yeah, next up, uh, looking at the schedule, is a game I don't care about Bowling Green at Michigan State I'm actually interested to see the line uh, on this one Michigan Michigan State by 17 I don't know if Michigan State will score 17 points yeah yeah that's a little that seems off I I don't know if it's because I don't think Michigan State's good like I think they're going to be not great but I think after this offseason like yeah I just struggle to see that I, I this is a lot about Bowling Green I haven't really looked into them but yeah Noon on ESPNU. Any thoughts there? No. Michigan State is trash, and they're not going to get better. They lost all of their their one great recruiting class they had. They lost like all their best players from it. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Let's move to something really funny. Um, Three thirty, ABC, Michigan versus Florida in Arlington. Uh, if you play for Florida, you are probably suspended for this game. Uh, if you play for Michigan, you probably didn't start last year. We're going to sorry, one- sorry if this is how you found that out. We're doing another gambling thing. Um, what is the over under in this one, guys? Ooh, if it's higher than fifteen, it's probably too high. I'm okay. gonna say. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Forty-three and a half or forty-four. So basically, Vegas thinks this game probably ends about twenty-four twenty, which sure, that sounds about right. Probably Michigan's somewhere between a three and a half and five and a half point favorite. Um, I think this game's gonna suck. I think expecting this game to end about twenty-four yep. twenty is right, but I don't think it's nearly as entertaining as what you would probably think for a four-point football game. Uh, Wilton Spade, I think, is probably better than people are giving him credit for. Uh, I think you know people have a bad taste in their mouth for how last year ended for him, but he was also playing with a broken collarbone. So I think he's going to want to have a good game. He's going to try and go out there and have, establish himself. And then Florida, I mean, they're just Florida, man. Like, I hey, think but Felipe Franks could Felipe, be good. Felipe Franks could be good, but he also is probably going to lose at least one limb at the hands of Rashawn Gary. So what do I know? Uh, are either he doesn't of, have anyone to throw to. Yeah. Are either of you brave enough to pick Florida? Mm, I really, I really I want so. to. I want to because I think that Michigan just has so many young pieces that I think that that will keep Florida in the game and any one single play could swing it in Florida's favor, but I just don't see it. Uh, I don't think they have anything offensively. Their defense may be great, but their offense is just, just bad. Yeah, I my, yeah, yeah. My favorite timeline is Jim McElwain is out after this year, whether it's by his accord or somebody else's, and DJ Durkin goes down there because I'm legitimately terrified of DJ Durkin. But yeah, I'm I, yeah, I don't want to watch this game. I'm very, I'm going to be mad if I catch any of this football game. Uh, now, as I crack open my third LaCroix of the podcast, uh, 3.30 BTN in Evanston, Nevada at Northwestern. I can't be brought to have an opinion on this. Um, I'll go with Northwestern. Like, Akeel Lynch is gone from Nevada, and their other running back is currently at Iowa. So, yeah, I mean. Go Cats. Go Cats. Okay, Nick, we're going to bring back our favorite game from last year. What is the cheapest ticket for this game available on StubHub? Mmm... Six dollars. Six dollars. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? I can't say because I you're just looking saw at it. it. You're looking at it. Yeah. Two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so you can either buy a package of M and M's and have like eighty nine cents left over, or go to this football game. What is the best on on the subject of cheap tickets? What's the best promotional giveaway you've ever gotten? Uh, I didn't go to it this year, but the State College Spikes had an ode to Conspiracy Theory Night, and I wanted to go to that, but couldn't because of uh, some family stuff that ended up popping up. But And I think they might have given some stuff away, but yeah, I mean, that that that's the best promotional giveaway thing I've ever seen. 
Mine Kevin, is by Kevin, far I the, think I, the Gore-Tet. I think I know your answer, and you still it's have It's the Gore-Tet <laughs> doll that you still haven't got from me yet. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I almost went to a Nats game this year to get a Max Scherzer snow globe, but didn't. Um, I think I've told the story on this podcast before, but the best giveaway, I didn't go, but the best giveaway that ever existed was the Nets when, I think it was the first year they were in Brooklyn. It was either the first year they were in Brooklyn or the last year they were still in New Jersey. They, when they were, they were just horrifically awful. And as a promotion, for like eight different games throughout the year they gave you a they gave you a jersey like a mesh jersey of uh darren williams but it was reversible to be the best player on the team they were playing that night so like jesus ugh. it was darren williams and like kobe or darren williams and like paul pierce it was the best promotion that's ever existed yeah um we, go, we, Nets. go Nets. Uh, next game is a team that I think is on the up and up going against a team that I don't think is getting nearly enough hype. The team that's not nearly getting enough hype is Louisville, which has the guy who won the Heisman Trophy last year against a Purdue team that is going to be just dumb as hell, even though I think I might have read that David Blown might not be healthy for this game. No. He's, he's questionable, questionable with his shoulder injury. Yeah. So if Blau is, like, I don't think this, like, I think Louisville runs away with this. I think Lamar Jackson has been so, oh, cool, the Warriors are here. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson has been so under the radar all offseason that he wants to remind everyone that he won the Heisman last year. But uh, let's see if I can find the line for this one, L-O-U-I-S-V-I. it is anywhere from 24 and a half to 26 points for Louisville. The over under is 67 and a half. Um, yeah, I think Louisville wins pretty comfortably and puts up a lot of points. Yeah, without future Ole Miss quarterback David Blau, Purdue doesn't really stand a chance of doing much of anything. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm in the same boat on that. I would love to see David Blau match up against Lamar Jackson just to see how many combined total yards they could they could have, but that's uh, even if he's coming off a shoulder injury, that kind of makes it worse. Yeah, and our last game, Arkansas State at a Nebraska team that has gotten a little bit of hype this offseason solely because they have Tanner Lee. Um, I am going to take Nebraska to win this one. Uh, Arkansas State's always a really fun team because they are just one of those programs that seems to be kind of like an incubator for crazy new ideas on how to play offense. Uh, Blake Anderson is uh, one of those guys, you know, offensive coordinator background. He's always willing to do some more fun stuff. He's been fine there. He's one of those dudes who's probably going to move on to take a bigger job somewhere else sometime soon. But I think they're going to do some funky stuff on offense I'm not sure how Nebraska is going to be able to respond to it, but I do think Nebraska is able to win this game ultimately. Yeah. Um, If you read uh, Bill Connolly's preview, which if you read that one on Arkansas State, then what are you doing with your life? I say as I read it because I wrote the group of five preview. Um, Arkansas State's one of those teams that always seems to peak during conference play. Uh, so the early out of seat, out of conference tests are usually don't bode well for them. Uh, one thing that they are doing is they, they're kind of rebuilding their offensive line, which is going to pose a lot of problems if you need to score, uh, with Nebraska and all indications are that, uh, Lee is actually really good. Um, friend of the blog, uh, what it's, I can't think of his first name. Um, Dan's friend, is it Patrick Wu? Yes. Um, he said that he was he was his favorite quarterback that he saw at the Manning passing camp. So, uh, I mean, that's pretty high praise from someone who knows literally everyone in college football. So uh, I, I think that Nebraska might be better than people think that they are going to be this year. And I think Lee's going to be one of those people who uh, will become probably a household name towards the end of the year, well, at least amongst Big Ten fans, uh, maybe not on a national stage, though. Huskers will win. Yeah, yeah. I think ending 
ending it like that is kind of a great way to wrap up this podcast. Uh, Penn State football's back. We're all excited. Penn State's back. College football's back. We hope that y'all are as excited for it as we are. Uh, thanks for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, subscribe to our million different podcast platforms out there, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. And then, Nick, what's the last one? Um, th- this is – is it Stitcher? SoundCloud, Google Play, Overcast. Overcast, all right. Uh, subscribe on – uh, follow us on Twitter at RLR blog. Like us on Facebook. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. We really appreciate all the help. We also really appreciate when we see people walking around the tailgate lots wearing our shirts. Nick, I'm about to wrap up, so if you want to start playing the music a little bit louder, go ahead. One more time, thank you for listening to this edition of the War Lions Radio. For Nick Pollock, for Kevin Fay, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. A Cron and Young Jeezy.